We're in this sermon series uh, about what gets in the way of uh, real explosive kingdom fruitfulness in, in our lives. I have, I have often thought that if, if I were going to write a best-selling book on keys to, to living well, you know, it would have to have a catchy title and stuff. I am working on that part. Um, but if I were to write a book on, on the keys to, to living life well, I, I think it, it might only have two chapters. Uh, so it would be a quick read and nobody would actually pay much money for it. But chapter one would be this. Life is really an exercise in ruthlessly setting priorities. I think that's the first key uh, to living well. Life is, when it comes right down to it, life is really an exercise in setting priorities. Uh, in, the, in the chaos of the world, the key is to identify the most important things and to pursue them firstly and mostly. Huge key. Might take a chapter to explain that. Might take a paragraph. I don't know. Chapter two would be living life well is largely an exercise in developing good habits. So life is really an exercise in setting priorities and then living that life well is primarily an exercise in developing good habits. Anyone can decide something, but the whole trick is to behave in such a way that that your good decisions become so so automatic that you don't have to even think about them anymore. It's about establishing good patterns. Habits are the difference between making a good choice and becoming a good person. That's really about habit forming. Or uh, habits, you could say, are the difference between making a powerful choice and becoming a powerful person in life. Or maybe you would say habits are the key to becoming a more fruitful person in life uh, in the spirit of this current sermon series. And today um, we're going to talk about good habits and bad habits. And especially we're going to talk about the bad habit of unbelief that uh, we so often carry around with us. Uh, So Jesus calls us the salt of the earth and the light of the world. If you follow Jesus, you are actually a pretty big deal. Uh, You are the illumination for the entire planet. Uh, So that is a very awesome job description. We are, by all of Jesus' explanations, supposed to be amazingly fruitful in life. Amazingly fruitful, explosively fruitful, a hundredfold fruitful. Whatever good thing God does in your life, you are supposed to multiply it in a hundred other lives uh, in, in the world. That kind of fruitfulness, that kind of magnitude. But what if we're not? What if we're not that fruitful? What do we do about that? Well, one thing you can do about it is ask yourself, well, is there something getting in the way of this fruitfulness that is supposed to be normal for Jesus followers and sometimes unbelief can get in the way which if you just say it like that may not sound surprising but what I'm talking about here is not it's not factual unbelief or factual disbelief uh, where you you don't believe that something is true like you don't believe that God is true or you don't believe that Jesus is true you could call that factual unbelief. You don't believe in the fact or the truth of it. I'm actually not talking about that uh, because if we're into kingdom living and, you know, probably most of us here today are, then we're already over that, right? We've decided what the truth is. 
pretty much. We've decided what the facts about God are pretty much. We accept that truth. But, but we can still have a habit of unbelief that can get in the way. When you accept the truth but can't quite live according to it. When you accept the truth but can't live accordingly to the extent that you get amazing fruitfulness out of it. So I'll explain a little bit more about that. Uh, and I want to start by um, reading uh, a scripture from the Gospel of Mark. Uh, it is a, it's a story that I use a lot uh, when I'm traveling around and doing uh, conference speaking and doing supernatural ministry seminars and stuff like that. It's just, it's really my favorite story about miracle working in the Gospels. Um, because it's just got so much to say. Um, and I, I like to read not all of it, but just a fraction of it today. Uh, because what it's really about is, is how to develop enough power to pull off the miracles that you want to pull off. You know, what, what goes into it? And in particular, there are some insights about how, f- how faith releases power for miracles and fruitfulness in your life. Uh, anyway, the setup is that Jesus... Peter, James, and John have been up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and Jesus has been transfigured into glory in front of their eyes. It's been a, a wonderful mountaintop moment, and now those guys are coming down from the mountain back into uh, the valley, and they encounter uh, a crowd of people where something is going on. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law arguing with them. And as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. They, they may have been overwhelmed with wonder because they had seen lights on the mountaintop or something. We're not told exactly, but they're like, oh, you're here. Wow. What are you arguing with them about? Jesus asked the crowd. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So the kid is seriously sick. Uh, Today we would diagnose him with some sort of neurological condition or epilepsy or something like that. Uh, The kid has some serious neurological troubles. And the crowd is discerned that there's some sort of evil spirit behind it. There's some sort of spiritual component here. It's the spirit that uh, has made him sick. The father continues, I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. So here, here's, here's a wonderful example in scripture where Jesus' followers, I mean his big followers, the main guys, right? Uh, the disciples uh, themselves try to minister, try to do a miracle, and fail. And I like that because whenever there's a failure, you learn something. Uh, and here's a, a great story of one. Your disciples tried to drive out the spirit, heal the kid, but they failed. Here's what Jesus says. You unbelieving generation. That's probably a bad translation because the word generation can also be translated just people. You unbelieving people, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? This is Jesus being very warm and fuzzy and pastoral and encouraging as he always is. Um, then he says, bring the boy to me. Um, so 
Jesus is separating the boy from, from the crowd. And let me just give you a little hint of an insight here. Why is Jesus separating the boy away from this crowd, do you think? Because it's an unbelieving crowd. The faith environment in the crowd is very rancorous. It's, it's cynical. It's argumentative. You know, there is not good faith happening in that crowd. And that's what Jesus has identified. There's a lot of unbelief happening here. And that really compromises power. You know, faith equals power. Uh, and so Jesus says, bring the boy to me. Jesus runs away from the crowd, which is really smart of him. Uh, so they brought him. Uh, presumably a few of his disciples brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Demons don't like Jesus. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? Jesus is like, wow, you know, this does look severe. How much power does this demon have over the kid is what he's asking. And the, the, the guy says, from childhood, he answered, it has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. In other words, yeah, it's very serious. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Which is the cry of a father's heart. But I, I find it an interesting cry. Uh, the guy says, if you can do anything do something. Just, just to point out the obvious, um, the guy already thinks Jesus can do something, which is why he brought the kid, right? But at this moment, he's wavering. Um, not surprised, very emotional moment, and you know, if it was your kid, how would you feel? Uh, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. And, and I, Jesus is such a great pastor. He's a great miracle worker, but he's also just really great with people. What's he doing here? I think he's, he's provoking, right? What, what do you mean if I can, you know, parenthetically? Didn't you already decide that I could and that's why you're here? But he says, if you can, anything is possible for him who believes. What, that's a provocation, Right? Anything is possible for him who believes. I mean, if you believe, anything would be possible. He, he's, he's provoking the man to, to faith, to put his faith on. Dang it. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me to overcome my unbelief. How many of you think that's just an awesome prayer? Right? It's just a very, very human prayer. And then I just cut off the, the account there. Uh, of course, what happens? Uh, the crowd starts running to the seed scene before um, they can get there. Uh, Jesus uh, delivers and, and heals the boy. The miracle happened. So uh, he got enough faith out of the father uh, to actually change the faith environment enough to do some fruitful ministry. So it's a happy story. Snaps to Jesus. Well done. Uh, nice story. It shows how power works. It shows that power, uh, power for miracles and fruitfulness works best in an environment of faith where there's not a lot of faith, uh, hard to do anything fruitful. So what Jesus does is he manages his faith environment in very clever ways and subsequently wins the day. Awesome story. Uh, but as pertains to our sermon series, What Gets in the Way, I note a couple particular things. I take special note of Jesus' thoughts 
about the problem that he was encountering here. And I would say it this way. It's not, it's not unbelief that upsets Jesus in this story, but rather it's the persistence of unbelief that upsets Jesus in the story, right? Uh, you can tell this by the nature of his outburst. He doesn't say, oh, there's a lot of unbelief here. It's hard to work. He says, you unbelieving people, how long shall I put up with you? How long shall I stay with you? You know, you, you unbelieving people, how long shall we do this dance? You know, Jesus, Jesus is making a, an implicit observation here. It's like he's saying, you know, guys, you've seen me do these miracles before. Okay, we've been around this track. How many demons have I cast out? This is Mark chapter 9. We are more than halfway through the gospel at this point. He's done lots of deliverance miracles. How many healings has he done? Lots of healings. How many deliverance and healings have the disciples done at this point? Tons. So much so that now families with sick people are seeking them out in remote places. You know, it's like, this has been established. We already know this. And yet, and yet, when I come into the crowd, there's still unbelieving going on. You're all arguing with each other instead of believing together. It's the habit of unbelief that really mystifies Jesus at this point. This is what uh, upsets him. It's as if he's saying, you should be changed by now. After all that we have accomplished, you, you should be changed. You should be believing thoroughly. And if you're not, it's not a matter of your knowledge. It's not a matter of your circumstances. It's just a matter of your habits. You're just not letting go of your unbelief. You know, it's like he, he's pointing out the difference between circumstance thinking and faith thinking. Uh, those who have circumstance thinking might be like, wow, another demoniac. They're everywhere. We can never win. You know, it's kind of circumstance-based, defeatist in its way. Whereas faith thinking would be, wow, another sick demoniac. We know how to do this already. We've proven it. Faith thinking. Anyway, they had a habit of unbelief here in this crowd. And then Jesus makes some arrangements. He pulls the boys away. He does a little uh, provoking uh, to the kid's father. And he elicits this great prayer, I believe, help me to overcome my unbelief. He gets a little bit of belief and a prayer for overcoming, he gets a little bit of belief and a prayer for overcoming unbelief. And what I love about this story is how it illustrates you really have to do both, don't you? If you're pursuing a miracle, if you're pursuing fruitfulness, you have to pray for faith and you have to pray against anti-faith, right? It's not enough to choose to believe. You actually have to kill unbelief. You have to do both. It's a, it's a desperate and humble prayer in these circumstances, but so wise uh, in its, its own way. Unbelief is a sticky and persistent habit even for people who have witnessed great miracles, even in the faith face of both evidence and 
the power of faith. You can decide on faith, you can accept the truth, and yet still, still struggle in unbelief. Anybody resonate with that? Right? Uh, so I think here's a truism for our lives. You have to decide to believe, yes, but then you have to vanquish unbelief. Otherwise, belief and unbelief will coexist together and it will get in the way of explosive fruitfulness in your life. We want to believe, but then we need to break the habit of unbelief. If we don't do that, we've left something undone and it will come back to to bite us in the butt. It will restrict our lives. Example, very few people out there in the world believe that smoking cigarettes is a good thing. Deciding to quit smoking and breaking the habit of smoking, two very different things. Can I get an amen from anybody who's like been through this experience or is going through it, right? You accept the truth on the one hand, but then you have to reconstruct a habit on the other. Amen? Amen? I feel, like, I feel like the rain has sort of dampened our enthusiasm this morning, so just like give me a big amen or a chihu or a, or a we love you, Jordan. You're great. I'm starting to feel it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, how many of you uh, find yourself at least occasionally not living up to what you believe? And how many of the remaining ones of you are liars? Um, and, and I think what happens is that we, we leave the habit thing undone, right? We believe, but we never construct habits of belief. Never break the habits of unbelief. So we've only gone halfway. The key to living well is to develop good habits in life. That's what really moves life and moves things in life uh, for us. Uh, so it's possible to be a believer who is blocked by unbelief if you've let your habits of unbelief go unconquered. Why do habits persist uh, like that? Well, once you have a habit, you can't just change your mind. You actually have to change your life patterns. It's much, much harder, right? Much easier to change your mind than to change your patterns of living. Uh, and so habits tend to persist unless you go after them with a club. Yeah, like that. Come on. I've embarrassed you. I'm so happy. Um, so with the habit of unbelief, uh, a lot of us change our mind and think, hey, I, I'll have faith now. I am now a person of faith. But from there, you have to change the patterns of your life. You have to go for it uh, with some ruthlessness. Okay, so all that begs the question, what breaks a habit of unbelief? What breaks habits generally? What breaks habits? And ultimately, the answer is other habits right? If you have a bad habit, ultimately the only way to conquer it is to develop an anti-habit, a good habit that contends uh, against it. So developing the habit of faith 
is the only way to break the habit of unbelief. So how do we do that? How do we go about building um, habits of faith? And I think the short, the general answer is you develop habits of faith the way you develop any habits in life. Repetition. You just have to do it over and over again in a certain way until it becomes so automatic you don't have to think about it anymore. A virtue is nothing but a good habit, right? Anybody, anybody can make a good choice in life, but if you pursue good choices habitually so that they become automatic and you don't think of it, then you've become a good person. You become a virtuous person because the choice has become automatic for you. How do choices become automatic? Lots of repetition. So you just, you don't even think about it anymore. And there's certain things that can help you be automatic about good choices. You know, a good, a good culture around you, a good family around you. Um, you know, there are, are small supportive habits that can lead to big victorious habits. But basically the answer is repetition. And if you want to change something about yourself in life, if you want to develop a good habit, in other words, you have to figure out Something to do repetitively, so much so that you stop thinking about it. Not fancy, is it? It's not fancy at all, but it's really one of those secrets to life. It is chapter two of the two-chapter book on keys to living well in the, in the Sang Library of Life. It's, it's a very small library. But, um, so you have to develop uh, a good habits. Uh, developing the habit of faith, the only way to break the habit of, of unbelief. What, is that, what does that mean practically? What are some practical examples of that? We'll talk about that to finish. Um, we are talking about explosive kingdom fruitfulness, which means we should, in an amazingly influential way, in an amazingly uh, big way, we should influence uh, a, a lot of people. So you have to develop habits that pertain to your interactions with people if you want to be a fruitful person. Uh, that much makes sense. So think about where uh, you have habits of unbelief with people and where you have habits of belief with people. That would be the place uh, that, that I would attack. When it comes to interacting with people generally, most of us by default have uh, a pattern of unbelief if for no other reason that we've learned to act normally with people in life. As we were growing up, uh, most, uh, most of us had parents who taught us to act normally, uh, to, to act according to the status quo. And that is not a particularly influential way to act. Um, I mean, some of you have children whom you are not teaching to act normally, I know. Uh, <laughs> But uh, most of you grew up in an acculturated way. Uh, culture, one of the things it does is it tries to get everyone to act the same. Very, of, very few of us grew up with the notion that it's important to work with God in every setting with everyone. Very few of us grew up with that notion. Instead, we grew up seeing situation, situations with people as exercises in being accepted by them. Or we see interactions with people as exercises in getting something we want from them. Or uh, as exercises in feeling fulfilled socially. But very few of us grew up being trained to see every interaction with someone as an opportunity to be influential in a spiritual and godly way. 
So unless we recreate our habits, those bad habits, those habits of, I mean, it's sort of non-belief. It's not even a habit of unbelief. It's just non-belief will carry through our lives. They have momentum to them. They must be killed if new habits are to come, right? You following me so far? Give me another one of those amens. You following? Uh, For example, one habit of unbelief uh, that you can have with people even though you become a person of faith, is a habit of being uncertain. Uh, This is an easy one because in a world of faith, you can never really prove anything. So it's tempting for us to pretend pretend that there's too much uncertainty in our interactions with people um, to, uh, to really speak about God in a committed way to really try to influence them. So you say things like, well, I'm, I'm not really sure how to speak to this person. I'm not really sure what would work best. You know, I have, a, I have uncertainty about that. Uh, so I don't know how to go about ministering to them. So I will just kind of be inactive instead. So uncertainty stops you. And uncertainty is an easy habit because there's always some uh, around. I'm not sure, I'm not exactly sure what God wants me to do in this situation. So I will do nothing. That is a pattern of, of unbelief. Because, I mean, what does certainty have to do with anything in the kingdom of God? Not much. It's not about certainty. It's about faith. Or you could say it's about being certain of a few things. And a few things only. And letting them influence the rest of, of your life. Um, uh, sometimes, um, you know, I, sometimes you can... You know that scripture tells you to, uh, to witness to people. Maybe you've received seven different prophecies that have told you to be an evangelist. Uh, but you can say, I'm not really sure of all the details yet, so I will do nothing. Certainty. Uncertainty. Um, you can become a lingerer instead of a minister. So we get that? You have the habit of uncertainty. Has that got anyone in, in its grips? By contrast, or in the way of antidote, the habit of faith uh, that is most directly involved with amazing fruitfulness in our lives is, is what you might call the habit of harvest. The habit of harvest. Which basically is a, is a habit that says, always be ministering, always be harvesting. I've been thinking about the habit of harvest a lot in my personal life uh, recently. Um, and so here, here's one habit that I'm trying to develop um, in the spirit of a habit of, of harvest. I'm trying to go a little too far with every interpersonal interaction I have. I feel like that's a healthy habit. I feel like, I feel like that, that's a habit of, of harvest. Just, just, to, just to say a little too much, you know, to, that... What you said there was just a little too much to be appropriate. That, that's kind of the reaction uh, that I'm looking for. Um, so so I've, I've tried that uh, a lot recently. I've, I've, I've heard myself saying things like, wow, that's a difficult situation. What would it take for you to feel blessed by God in this situation? I said that to a neighbor recently. He's not, not a believer. We're just sort of talking about some tough circumstances. Wow, in those circumstances, what would it take for you to feel blessed by God? God? What does God have to do with anything? Well, 
I think he has everything to do it. So I am forcefully inserting him into this conversation. I'm just, I, I just, I'm, I'm a little inappropriate that way, you know. Um, or I said to someone recently, you strike me as a person with a hungry spirit. What? Who says that? <laughs> Who talks like that? You know, well, evidently I do. And there you go. I said it. And I'm not taking it back. Uh, the conversation didn't go anywhere, but I said it. Um, or uh, someone else was talking to me about a tough circumstance. I said, um, yeah, man, God doesn't want you to always struggle like that, though. What? What am I doing there? Again, forcefully inserting God into the conversation. Now we have to deal with it, don't we? What does God want for you? That's a great conversation. Uh, or I, I just tried this one. Uh, Man, you should really come to our Christmas celebration. You will be blessed. That's being cocky. Um, but, uh, you know, I was trying to figure out how to uh, just invite this person to share in our faith community. Christmas is coming up, so I just forcefully inserted Christmas into the conversation. That's almost socially acceptable. Um, but... I offer that to you for consideration. It, it helps when I talk to people if I'm actually accurate with my observations. If I say, oh, wow, you have a really hungry spirit, of course it will help if they do. You know, so I do try to be relevant. Uh, but I've come to the conclusion that more so it helps me just to actually express what comes to my mind at the time. I've got a good mind. <laughs> and... Uh, what stops me is not a lack of words, but uh, a worry about being appropriate. So I've just decided to develop the habit of being inappropriate, and I may practice on you. Um, but particularly with uh, those people in my life who are not walking uh, with Jesus, I've just decided to always be talking about God somehow. Always be talking about God with them. That, I think, is a habit of harvest. And it's going to kill my habit of uncertainty. Because I, I fall into that as well. I'm like, I'm not really sure how to go about this. Well, forget that. <laughs> I'm never going to let that stop. That, that's, a, that's a habit of unbelief. Instead, I'm going to cultivate a habit of faith. You never know. Something good could happen. That's faith thinking. Right? You never know, so I'm just going to be inappropriate and see uh, where it takes me. All of this is really just to say that if, if we're not being amazingly fruitful in life, we can help ourselves by developing habitual behaviors that make it possible for fruitfulness to flow. Habits of faith, well really, they just create pathways for things to flow, right? They create potential for stuff to happen. Whereas a habit of unbelief will make sure that there are no pathways. If you never try anything, if you let uncertainty stifle you, well then for sure, <laughs> nothing's gonna flow. There, there, there's not even a pathway. But good habits, they don't guarantee fruitfulness, but of course they make it possible. And if you're not seeing amazing fruitfulness, I challenge you to consider your habits. Well, do you habitually 
bring God into every situation, every conversation, every place. No, that, that won't always work. Yes, you're right, it won't always work. <laughs> but the point is to have good habits so that it will work uh, sometimes. Habits are pathways. Unless you have a good habit of harvest, you will never see explosive harvest in your life. It's as simple as that. Yeah. What are some of your uh, habits of unbelief, do you suppose? We've talked a lot today about, you know, interactions with people. Uh, but of course, I have habits of unbelief in my life as well. Um, you know, habits of cynicism, <laughs> habits of complaint, um, stuff like that. Uh, it's, uh, it's Christmas time, so uh, I, uh, I, th- I think about this... Uh, this dream that I had once uh, during years in which I was really, really struggling with depression. It's the, uh, it's the Christmas stocking dream, the Santa dream. I think I've shared this story before in, in a sermon, but it was very poignant for me and I've always remembered it. Uh, I was struggling with depression. I had a dream one night in which uh, Santa was poised over a Christmas stocking. So yeah, I know, just Christmas is about Jesus, not Santa. I know, I know, but this was the dream, right? And in the dream, uh, the stocking was really small. And I complained about it, and then it got a little smaller. Uh, And then in the dream, I started saying positive things, like, I I bet I'm going to get good things for Christmas. And it grew. I bet I'm going to get good things this year. And it grew even more. And then in the dream, I just started saying, you know, whatever positive thing popped into my head. And the stocking got like eight feet long. And, and I knew that I was uh, about to cash in. And then I woke up. And of course, you immediately understand a dream like that. Jordan, you are not allowed to complain. You are only allowed to say positive things. And I was in the throes of life-threatening depression. But I decided to make that a discipline. In other words, a habit-forming exercise. I decided that, you know, for the next six months, I would not complain. I would only say positive things. You know, I was living in Chicago at the time. I would not complain about Chicago weather. That almost killed me. It's unbelievably difficult to do. I would not complain about, you know, people and their mistreatment of me. I would not complain about uh, how I felt if I were sick. When, when I, I just disallowed myself to do it. I cannot describe to you how difficult that was for me. It really felt like death. And of course it was, you know, I was killing part of myself, or if you want to just be simpler about it, I was vanquishing a really bad habit and replacing it with a positive habit. And the positive habit, let me tell you, was even harder, you know, than avoiding the negative habit. I had to say positive things. I had to appear cheery. (laughs) Excruciatingly difficult. Not me at all. I do dry, witty sarcasm. I do not do bubbly. <laughs> but I had to say positive things. Just shock the tar out of my wife. Um, anyway, habits are, are pathways. Um, I, uh, uh, my, my good friend, our mission director, uh, Robin Morse, she, she lost her cat this week. Uh, he died at the ripe old age of 17. Seth. Seth the cat. And... Um, it's a great story of, of uh, 
positive habit associated with Seth, who is kind of a miracle cat. Uh, I've, I've known Seth almost all of his life as well, because Robin and I go back a long ways. Um, but uh, several years back, about five years ago, Seth got lost. He just disappeared. Robin was living um, uh, with, uh, with us at the time, and, and Seth just disappeared. And nobody knew where he was. And uh, this went on for one week, two weeks, you know, three weeks. No Seth. So everybody felt very bad. And then, then Robin felt a, a conviction. Uh, it's like, you know, my life, she said to me one day, is ostensibly about restoring the lost to God. And uh, if I can't uh, search for my cat with life-changing passion, how am I going to search for people that I don't even know uh, with life-changing passion? So she resolved to do everything that she possibly could to find Seth. Now, you know how the story ends. We found Seth. But we found Seth at the end of seven weeks of searching you know, long past the point where it was reasonable to search for him. And I found myself, you know, getting up with Robin at four or five in the morning to scour the streets of Manoa when, you know, the cats are out and everything is quiet. Maybe he would come out of hiding. We just did the most outlandish things, you know, putting out food, setting little, you know, box traps and interviewing people. We're going door to door throughout all of Manoa, just like, you know, crazy things. And uh, she'd put some ads out, and eventually someone saw an ad, and we located Seth uh, in, uh, uh, in Kaka'ako, uh, living in a cat colony where one of those cat volunteers were feeding stray cats. And, and uh, so when Robin finally got him, uh, he's a big, he's a big, uh, f- he's a big fluffy-haired orange cat, but um, he had not lost any weight, but somebody had shaved him. And so Seth had a story that none of us knew about. You know, so, you know I, was, I was rolling with a biker gang. Everybody was shaved. And I, I, don't, know, I don't know what it was. Uh, but he came home after, after seven weeks uh, of searching. Um, that story, you know, that story is about Seth, but it's about, it's about Robin who just refused uh, to have a, a habit of unbelief and insisted on following through on a habit of faith uh, in the face of, uh, of silly odds. I'll just leave you with that today. <clears throat> Let's pray. Holy Spirit, uh, I just pray that you would change us as people, not simply convince us of what is true, but uh, develop in us the habits to live accordingly. I pray, Lord, that in this Christmas season and in the new year, um, we, would, we would break bad habits. We'd break the habit of unbelief. Just the, the persistent habit of letting momentum carry the day. Creating us a habit of, of belief, a habit of harvest something that we never give up on and always, always do. And so redefine us, Lord. I pray today, Lord, um, uh, for anyone who has let the habit of unbelief just uh, 
keep them away from, from Jesus. Well, I'm not certain. Or, eh, I just don't want to deal. Let's make this a day of killing off bad habits. Ruthlessly setting priority on God. And developing habits uh, that take us toward the Lord. I just invite you uh, today to, uh, to decide fully and take action. Tis the season. Amen.